Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute mini-sode on mobile slaughter. We are covering primarily red meat mobile slaughter here, and we go into all of the things that you need to think about if you're thinking about doing mobile slaughter. All right, this is an amazing episode. This is going to be actually another one that you're going to need a pen and paper for because I cover a lot, take a lot of notes. These this minisode uh, was covered as part was was created as part of office hours on the proofing box. And so, if you want to come ask questions, join us over on the proofing box, and I am totally happy to answer any and all questions. Now is the time for local meat and local meat processing to like take over the world. It is our hour and join us and learn where to start. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. All right, so there we are. Okay mobile slaughter. All right. So I think I am going to publish this as a mini sode. So welcome to our mini sode on, um, on mobile slaughter. <laughs> so it is uh, April 16th. And as of the writing or like, well, writing the, as of the publication of this live stream, we have several significantly large um, uh, meat processing plants that have shut down. And I have had half a dozen people this week talk to me about mobile slaughter and local meat processing operations, all right? And so I am going to give you as succinct an overview as I can possibly give you about the things that you need to think about about mobile slaughter and operations, all right? So the first thing that I want you to know is when it comes to slaughter, slaughter is very clearly defined by the Code of Federal Regulation, and it is a legal definition, all right? And we talk about slaughter, and I am specifically talking about amenable species right now, okay, under, and we're going to talk about different levels of inspection, but it's still all driven by the USDA, all right, and the USDA definition of amenable species. So I am not talking about fish slaughter right now, not that I think anybody thinks that, but just to be clear, okay. So we have amenable species, and those are kind of things like um, uh, beef and pork and goats and sheep and uh, turkeys and chickens and, uh, you know, like a couple other things. It does not include bison. Bison are not amenable species. Quail, also not an amenable species, okay? So this doesn't apply to them. Rabbits are also not an amenable species. So this doesn't apply to them either, <laughs> okay? You have to do voluntary inspection for that, and I will talk about that. All right, so here is the deal. Slaughter starts well before any animals die. Slaughter all starts with humane handling, okay? You have to decide when you decide to start killing animals for people, whether it's yourself or other people, at what regulatory level you are going to do that. And here are your options, okay? You can do it as a custom exempt, which means that you are what we call an itinerant butcher, right? You go to somebody's property and you kill animals on their property is one way of doing that. Or, and the USDA, this is a very gray area, and the USDA is looking very, very hard at this. 
you kill an animal that multiple people have bought alive and that they are buying your butchery services, okay? I am not a lawyer. I promise you that's a legal gray area and the USDA is looking at it, all right? But that is one way of doing custom exempt slaughter. If you do custom exempt slaughter, you are not held to humane handling standards. However, there are approximately zero number of people who don't work in this industry uh, who recognize that. And if they see you slaughtering an animal inhumanely, it doesn't matter whether you're a custom exempt, you're still gonna be brought up on charges, okay? And I'm working on an issue in this right now, okay? So you still have to do things right. And I will tell you the story of local meat is the story of one bad day. And it is one of the imperative things in the world that we work in that those animals all have one bad day, okay? Or not somebody's checking up on you is incredibly important. Animals have to have sound footing. They have to have clean places to be penned. They have to have access to clean like and fresh potable water in a place that they're not gonna poop in it, okay? Do not like put water troughs on the floor and expect cattle not to defecate into them because that's what cattle do, right? And we think actually, one of the reasons Shigatox and E. coli counts go up in the summer is because um, in the slaughterhouses, people are not cleaning out the water troughs in the um, slaughter pens. And so um, the Shigatox and E. coli is just multiplying in the water troughs, right? They're just refilling them. The water is fresh, but the troughs themselves are dirty. So clean your damn troughs, people. All right, so animals have to, um, so, so, you have custom exempt, all right, and then you have state inspected slaughter, and the meat and poultry can be sold in state. Now, there are people in this coronavirus um, uh, world that we live in who are doing their level best uh, to see that state inspected meat can be sold over state lines, okay? I think that is a reasonable thing to do if the states can prove that they are inspecting everything before it and it's not clear to me that the states can prove that because I live in a state where they haven't been able to prove that. Now, the system has radically improved, I will tell you, in the time that I've been doing this. But there is reason to be afraid that the states aren't able to do the work, okay? And that's no knock on the states. It's actually a knock on the legislatures of the states who don't employ enough people like me to make sure that things are being done correctly, all right? There's simply not enough regulatory veterinarians on payroll at our states making sure things are going well because... Boy, isn't it easy to defund meat and poultry inspection at our state level. So you have the state level, and then of course you have USDA level. Now a note about poultry and slaughter. Under a thousand birds, nobody inspects you and you can only sell whole birds and you can basically do it however you want, all right? If you are trying to get into poultry slaughter for a living, please try and raise a thousand birds in a year and kill get them to market and make money on them before you decide to go for USDA inspection. Just saying. Okay? Between 1,000 birds and 19,999 birds, you are under state jurisdiction in, in like, all the states. Okay? And you have to um, adhere to um, good manufacturing practices, but you don't actually have to um, uh, have a HACCP plan. Okay? Chickens are not subjected to humane handling regulations, um, saith the food safety cat. So he's joined us for the podcast. 
Um, so chickens are um, subjected to what's called good commercial practices. And good commercial practices are, in short, make sure they don't freeze to their cages in the winter and make sure they don't drop dead of hyperthermia in the summer. The end, that's about how you have to treat your chickens. Chickens are not considered animals under the Animal Welfare Act. So, and if you have a problem with that, don't come don't do not come haul an ass at me over that definition because lord knows that happened well before i even got into veterinary medicine mm. all right so that's chickens above twenty thousand chickens you are mandated to have usda inspection and the facility within which you do your chicken processing cannot be used for anything else basically okay um without a significant level of paperwork. So yes, you can do both of them, but there's a lot of paperwork. You can't do it on both days. Uh, you can't do multiple species on, on one day. All right, so just to, just to let you know. Okay, so that's sort of the construct of, of that. And I'm going through all of these rules because it's very important to know all of this stuff when you decide to go with, whether, when you start to start thinking about mobile processing. All right. So that's humane handling and good commercial practices, all right? And then the animals actually have to die, all right? And a mobile slaughter facility is a facility within which we make sure that the animals die correctly, all right? That's very important, and it is very important. I mean, I literally got into this business to make sure that animals have one bad day. But here's the thing. Mobile slaughter facilities do not come with humane handling facilities. And if you are killing under state inspection or you are killing under um, USDA inspection, your animals have to have humane handling facilities, right? So that is an expense you have to think about, all right? The next thing that you have to think about, okay, so is the animal dies, okay, and the animal has to die under the auspices of either good commercial practices, if it's a, if it's a poultry, or humane handling. And that means one shot, one kill. Okay, now I know this is incredibly um, controversial in the local food movement and that there are a lot of people out there who say one shot, one kill is a unfair standard to hold local meat to. I will tell you as somebody who lives on the outside and who talks to people who have no involvement in this industry whatsoever and who talks to the regulators, barking down getting rid of one shot, one kill based on facility size and number of animals killed is absolutely the wrong way to go about it, okay? And people are not interested in your excuses as to why your guns are not cleaned, okay? Because this is generally what happens, is that when you are killing animals, and I'm specifically talking about red meat right here because obviously we don't shoot poultry. If you don't know that, we don't shoot poultry. We like stun them and we cut and we, we slice their carotid arteries but no matter how you're killing the animal you have to do it correctly all right and i'm not talking i'm not going to address some religious exemption slaughter here a whole set of things all right most times we stun and then we um we stun them and then and then we bleed them out and the animals actually die from lack of blood to the brain and the lack of oxygen to the brain because we've cut again the carotid arteries and bleed them out and the shot stuns them but doesn't necessarily but doesn't usually kill them unless you're doing it really 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 well the real death comes with bleeding out 
But here's the problem, is that in small slaughterhouses, people can be poorly trained, okay? And I have been in many small slaughterhouses where they don't have adequate backup equipment, okay? And that looks like having a second stunner, um, and that looks like uh, people cleaning and maintaining their weaponry, all right? I am an Army veteran. I was taught how to maintain my weaponry, and you better believe if I come to your slaughterhouse and your gun's dirty, I'm going to tell you about it, so, because that's not okay. So both the original weapon that you're using, whether it's a captive bolt stunner or a regular, you know, like a, a, a shotgun or whatever it is that you're using, okay, that has to be cleaned and maintained and pre-opt. And your secondary method, because you have to have a secondary backup method that you can get to in an instant, must also be maintained to the same degree that your primary one is. And that's where everybody screws up, okay? That is where absolutely everybody screws up. And please do not even talk to me about mobile slaughter unless you know how to maintain weaponry, okay? And I have like 15 different veterans that are willing to teach you how to maintain weaponry, all right? So that you can, you can do this right. That is how important this is, okay? So that is, so then the animal dies, okay? And you have to, and you bleed out the animal, okay? All of that blood has to go somewhere, okay? And so we have, like I have, actually, I probably should have brought it, but I have a blood collection system, all right, um, behind me, which if somebody wants to like, I have, I have a, a project that I wanna do with somebody who wants to do blood collection um, in a way that USDA will accept. And I have all the equipment to do it, um, but what, what you gotta what you gotta realize is is all of that blood can't go down your sewage system, okay? So I want to give you some numbers because this is where I want to start talking about water and sewage. This is one of the hardest things about mobile slaughter, is that in order to process under state authority or federal authority. You have to do, you have to have adequate water and sewage. Adequate water looks like you have potable water, okay? That means water that is safe to drink. Adequate sewage is a much looser definition, all right? But I wanna give you some guidelines. You need to have septic or sewage capabilities, okay, that can, for red meat processing, process about 350 gallons per carcass, okay? It's about 300 gallons per carcass. Um, for hogs, if you're not scalding them, if you're scalding them, it's 350 gallons per, per carcass, okay? And hog scalding, so this is one of the things I want you all to think about when you're thinking about mobile processing. Zero is the number of mobile processing units out there that allow for hog scalding. Okay, and many of you in the local pork movement want scalded hogs. A hog scalder costs about $35,000. A hog scalder is not portable. A mobile processing unit is. So I need you all to really, really think about that. Okay, because skin on versus skin off is one of those things that you're really gonna have to consider, okay? So my recommendation is, is that if you are getting a mobile slaughter unit and they are out there, they're available from a couple of different, um, a couple of different companies, all right? 
you have multiple places, okay, and you've approved multiple farms that have potable water and adequate sewage and have gotten their own USDA or state grants of inspections at that farm, whether the, the, the mobile facility stays there or not, okay? Because then when you go to the farm, you're operating under that farm's grant of inspection, okay? I promise this is doable. If you have a need for a hauler because you want to do prosciuttos like everybody wants to do, have a hog scalder. Have everybody go in on a hog scalder. And yes, I am talking about developing cooperatives. Okay, I'm a life coach for a reason, right? I'm all in on getting people to cooperate. Okay, have everybody go in on a hog scalder and put it at one person's farm and do all of your charcuterie pigs at that person's farm, okay? Will some people have to transport their hogs? Absolutely, okay? But that's you're not doing everything as your charcuterie pigs, okay? And you shouldn't do everything as your charcuterie pigs because that's a very expensive way to go about um, making money on pigs, okay? So, hog scalders, all right? Potable water and sewage. <laughs> All right, and then what you have to do, you have the drop, okay? So that's all the viscera, and you gotta do something with the viscera. And this is another thing to keep in mind when you are looking at mobile slaughter units. When we eviscerate an animal, we tie them off at the bung, so that's the, the okay? And then we tie off their esophagus, and we do every, and we pull everything out, and there are more and less complicated ways of doing this. It is of surpassing importance that you don't gut stick them and get the manure all over the inside of the carcass because that's a disaster, right? But all of that stuff has to go somewhere and it cannot, my friends, go down the drain. We do not put raw manure down our drains because the dissolved solids in that is like completely ridiculous, right? Can't happen. All right, so you have to have a plan. A plan looks like collecting it into big old, you know, Rubbermaid barrels labeled inedible and composting them or sending them off for rendering or incinerating them on farm, all right? Have a plan. The next thing you need to have a plan for is hides. Now, I'm not gonna lie, I did not look at hide prices before I did this, but the last time I looked at hide prices was Q4 for 2019 and you couldn't give away cattle hides for love or money all right because the problem is is that local tanning solutions and i'm not, not tanning, i am talking about height tanning all right simply don't exist so i'm not gonna lie when i was at pride last year which i'm pretty sure is getting canceled this year I went to the local like leather, like they, they had the, um, the, the tent there and it was like the S and M club or whatever. Um, and I was like, guys, somebody here has to be into local leather, right? Because I live in Portland, Maine for heaven's sakes, right? Like there has to be somewhere like an S and M market for local leather. I talked to those people because they're the ones using lovely tanned hides and I want to develop the supply chain. So if anybody's like got those, those tanneries, on their speed dial, we need to talk to them because I think local leather is, there is a market for it. And I think especially now in the travel bans and as we are looking at local supply chains, local leather is going to become a story and we have to have something to do 
with the hides that come off of our cattle, uh, all right, or that come off of our goats. If we're scalding the pigs, the hides stay on. But if we're scald, if we're not scalding the pigs and we're we're taking the we're taking the hides off, we got to do something with that, okay? And just endlessly freezing them, also not a great option, okay? It can be done. You can salt them and you can freeze them, all right. But that's still that's a lot of inventory cost there, okay? So I am putting out a plea. You know? in this episode for us to develop local solutions, hopefully environmentally friendly, for dealing with hides, okay? Because I think it's there. So that's the main, um, so then we have one more thing to think about, and I wanna talk about sewage outflows. So we talked about in for, for um, cattle processing and pig scalding, we're at about 350 gallons. Um, goats and sheep are about half of that and skin off pigs are at about 300 gallons. All right. So that's your incoming water needs. And then we have outgoing water needs. All right. And I was doing, I was like one minute late to the podcast because I was looking at this math. All right. And here is what I have figured out is that in slaughter, okay, you, for, for, outgoing water for, for wastewater you need to um calculate about um eight if i did my math correctly okay you need to calculate four of it hang on no i'm lying i didn't do that math correctly you need 3.59 yeah no it is about six okay um you need to, to calculate for about 18 gallons of water going out for every pound of product, all right? And for value-added processing, which is not slaughter, okay? So just I just wanna throw this out here. You need to calculate about 3.38 gallons of water for every pound processed, all right? So you gotta figure out where all that water is going. So that lets you know how many gallons your septic tank really needs to be, okay? Or if you have like a, a leach field or whatever, all right? So those are the sorts of things that you need to that you need to think about, all right? And so, um, so that's uh, outgoing water. We talked about incoming water, all right? And those things, you know, like that's that's about what you got to think about, all right? Your biggest issues with outgoing water at slaughter are total dissolved solids. And so you have to have a way to catch hair, fat, feathers, and blood, all right? And that will keep, I mean, that stuff is hell on any septic or sewage system, okay? So you gotta figure out a way to do that. And now the, the mobile slaughter, um, like all of the mobile slaughter stuff out there has ways of doing that. You just gotta maintain them and keep them clean like everything else, all right? And then what you got to do is, is you got to cool all those carcasses. And this, this is what, this is one of the reasons I invented the locker. And this is where this gets really challenging is that those mobile slaughter facilities are small. Okay. And are best at slaughtering, not storing carcasses. Okay. So my recommendation is, is that you slaughter using the mobile slaughter facilities, and then you offload those carcasses into a carcass chilling pool. Okay, that's what I manufacture. A carcass chilling cooler, okay, can be um, 
many, I mean, they're manufactured, we manufacture them and they're designed with um, airflow systems to cool your car, not dry them out and all of that good sort of stuff. Okay. And so that's what you gotta, that's what you gotta think about. So you slaughter in the mobile slaughter and then every farm that has, um, uh, that is an approved supplier for your mobile slaughter has a locker associated with it where they offload their carcasses and then processed it kind of depending on how many animals we have one locker for um for product storage whether incoming or outgoing product storage and one locker for processing okay and that's what that looks like and the water and sewage needs for that are significantly less that's about 100 gallons of water per carcass um and then the outgoing is that 3.38 um gallons per pound if i did that math correctly. And there is significantly less dissolved solids. You legally can't put like carcasses out there that have blood and, and, and manure associated with them. Okay. And so that's kind of the ins and outs. Those are the things that you have to consider when you start considering mobile slaughter. So now some costs associated with this, um, a mobile slaughter facility is, does, is, is, when you start looking at that, they will tell you, oh, it's like $250,000. It's $250,000 plus a truck and a truck driver and insurance, <laughs> okay? So those are some things you have to, those are all costs that you have to consider, all right? And one of the reasons I have people coming into the power group is because I will work on you, I work on you, I will work with you on these sorts of questions about how we can get those business plans together, right? And so it's about, if you think about it, um, your, um, all in, all right, getting everybody supplier approved, water potability, all of that, you know, septic tanks and all of that sort of stuff. Okay, for a group of people going all in, so for about 10 farms going all in um, to do mobile slaughter together, that mobile slaughter cost is about $350,000. However, if you divide it around 10 farms, that's $35,000 a farm. That's pretty good, okay? One of the reasons mobile slaughter is a great idea is because stick building a slaughter facility, I've never, I mean, the last one I worked on cost eight and a half million dollars. I don't know who's making money on that, but mm -hmm, that's really expensive. Okay. $300,000 is like an order of magnitude less expensive again by half. Right. So it's a lot less expensive and we could actually potentially make a profit. Like that would be a good idea, right? Maybe local meat could be profitable. All right, so that's the kind of cost that you're looking at. And then you are looking at um, for each approved supplier so that they can store and cut and wrap all of their own um, product, one carcass locker and one production locker. All right. And for those two together, it's like in the neighbor in, in the neighborhood of 150, 175,000, just kind of depending on what your um, like what kind of equipment you want. So, all right, you want a steam jacket, kettle, and a cryovac. It's a little more expensive than if you're if you don't. <laughs> okay, and those are the sorts of things that we can do. But if you think about it, like even for like I just did this I just did this um, process for for somebody out west. He could get an entire beef processing plant up and running, processing, killing, like, I think we decided he was killing six cattle three days a week and processing them and making money at it for under $500,000, okay? 
that is a way that local meat can make money. I promise. I absolutely promise. So I'd be so excited to talk to people um, about doing this, um, about planning this with you, right? And people who are who are serious about it. Mm. All right. So that is everything I know um, <laughs> in a half an hour um, about uh, meat, mobile meat slaughter. Okay. If you have questions, y'all know where to find me. Come on to the proofing box uh, if you're not already on here and watching me live and asking me questions. Um, and I will answer more as we go forward. You are all beautiful, amazing people. I am so delighted you are in my life. And uh, we will talk again soon. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.